Lesson 27, if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. Chapter 10 and 11 kind of go hand in hand, but we're going to tackle 10 and then we'll jump right into chapter 11 next week and then we'll get into the birth of Abraham. And I'm excited to, uh, man, just as we end with Abraham, a lot of good stuff is going to be opening up. Well, as you're in Genesis 10, I'm going to go into the New Testament and work my way back to you to tell you what I've been saying all along and what I've been believing all along uh, in my personal faith and the way I study the Bible and I pray it helps you and challenges you and it's this thought and I've tried to be true to this thought the whole time. The entirety of the Bible reveals this eternal truth. Here it is. Jesus is the redeemer of humans, amen? amen? And Jesus is the head of the church. Every This is my, my thinking. Every book of the Bible, every story in the Bible, every person that is introduced to you in the Bible, every name in the Bible that you can't say, but it's there, is there for one reason, to lead you to the conclusion that there's only one hope for humans, and it's the redeemer Jesus, and then to lead you that it wasn't just a redemptive story, but out of that redemptive story, he was going to build a family. And that family is called the local church. That family are the people of God called by his name. And so that to me inspires why all the Bible is so meaningful. It's not just haphazard stories. It's not just random events, historical events. Because if you really think through the Bible, there's history going on all at the same time the Bible is going on. But the Bible doesn't give us world history events. It gives us the events that are within the timeline of the prophetic word that God is working. But in that working and in that history, he's working toward one thing. Jesus is the redeemer of humans. Here's the scripture that I hold to that inspires me to never, and I hope this inspires you, don't ever give up on the church. We may feel like we are in very hard times. You may think the church has lost some significance or power or we're really religious and we're not making much of a difference. But never fear. The church is God's plan and we're going to be here until he returns. Here's my thinking for tonight. This is going to be the jumping off point for where we're going tonight. Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, kept secret from the beginning. We've discussed this already, so I won't uh, bear to go too deep with it. But the secret was that God's purpose was that he would use the church to display his wisdom. So remember, even before there was day one of creation, or an Adam and an Eve that blew it, in the mind of God, there was already the church would come to display his wisdom. So when we ask the question, why would God make Adam and Eve knowing they would sin, you're too short. You have to go back before God ever thought of Adam and Eve and say he was thinking of the church before there was even time. So when he makes Adam and Eve and say, why would he do that? You just have to step over and go because he was moving to the church. Here's why he was doing that. 
to display in purple his wisdom in its rich variety, which is definitely what we'll talk about tonight, to all the unseen rulers and authorities. Here's what the deal is. The church does only have earthly impact. We have supernatural, uh, a beyond earthly impact. We will forever be looked at as his eternal plan. And that is just inspiring. Now we may think we've turned it into denominations and religion, but it was all God's idea. And you sitting here tonight being part of a church in a local community, I pray that it inspires you to see that God's going to do something wonderful through you. All right, let's jump into Genesis 10 now, verse 1. This, and I highlighted it in yellow, this is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah, and many children were born to them after the great flood. Every human on the planet will come from the, these three children. There will be nobody on the planet that does not originate from Noah's three sons. And chapter 10 gives us the lineage of these boys as they begin to have children. And it gives us all the names of the kids, all their relatives as they begin to parse it out. And here's the thought that I want to dwell on tonight. The account of the families descended from Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, gives us God's divine wisdom for humans in community to serve as a prophetic foresight to the birth of the church. Now here's what's interesting. If we go back to the story of Genesis, God started humans in community. He started a male and a female in a garden and said, do what I tell you to do. Don't eat that, but you can do all of this. So God's original intent was that he started community. But the moment they sinned, what, what is the story? Remember our narrative of the story. The moment they sinned, God takes them out of the garden and now they're into what we would call the field. They're not allowed to go back into the garden. They have two children. One dies and one is banished, Cain, and it said that he just wandered. So what we gain from Cain is that part of his punishment was he would become a wanderer and part of Adam and Eve's punishment was they would lose the home. So what we know the result of the original sin was it dislodged humans out of community. And such so that a, a cane is not even part of mom and dad anymore. Mom and dad aren't even part of God's home anymore. They've been banished from it. And what we gather as we trek the story to chapter 6 is really community wasn't even got the way... They were not living in community the way God intended. They were marrying anybody they wanted. Uh, their hearts were evil all the time. They were not doing anything. So here's what we can deduce from the original sin. It disrupted how community was to be done. And it became perverted. So when the flood happens and we enter back in to a narrative of human beings, once again, there's only eight of them. So it's Noah's wife and then the three boys and their wives. So we've, uh, we've brought humanity down to eight people. And out of that eight people... God is going to do again what he did before. He's going to establish what I, this is my phrase, 
He's going to establish divine kingdom community. And he's going to do it in such a way that even by the time we get to Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, they've messed it up again. So here's what we can say about humans. We may do relationships, good or bad. We may kill you, hate you, love you. But oftentimes we won't do relationships the way God intended it. And when we don't do it the way God intended community to be done, we end up with chaos, we end up with all kind of tragedy. We'll talk about that. But here's the thought. The account of the families descended from Noah is God's divine wisdoms for human and community as, and then this phrase, a prophetic insight to the birth of the church. I pull the scripture of Ephesians together with Genesis 10 that there was always in the eternal mind of God to birth his church as a sign of his wisdom to all of the rulers even in the other realm. And so as we see these eight boys, out of these eight boys obviously will come the seed of the people way down here that are going to become the church. So it gives us a prophetic insight. I'll tell you what I mean by that. We're going to go through each of the three boys, and in each of the three boys, something very significant is said to all of them. So here is Japheth, verse 5. The descendants became his descendants, Japheth's descendants, became the seafaring peoples that spread out to various lands. And then these phrases are going to be unique to every kid. Each of them are identified by its own language, clan, and national identity. The descendants of Ham, verse 20. These were the descendants of Ham, and again, the same common phrase, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. Then we come to the final third boy, Shem. And these are his descendants, verse 31, and the same phrase again. Identified by clan, by language, by territory, and by national identity. So what we can deduce from these three boys as they've come out, that God establishes a template of community. That divine wisdom of community will be seen in language, it will be seen in territory, it will be seen in clan and national identity. God is going to do this all the way through the Bible. He's working this process. Now, there's a reason behind it. We'll get into it in a moment. But you better know whatever God establishes, what does the enemy do? He comes in to pervert it. Anything that Christ will do, the Antichrist spirit will rise up to pervert it. Anything that God says, you can eat this fruit, he will pervert and say, no, eat that fruit. So as we come into clan, language, territory, and national identity, we can begin to track that it, along the way, the devil will pervert every one of them. And we'll end up with some tragedy when he does. But here's the thought of God's wisdom. The first was clan. And the word clan in the Hebrew is mis. I, I'm going to try to pronounce them. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Mispaha or mispaha. And it means family. It means tribe, a guild, or a circle of relatives. So God, as he scatters these humans across the planet, he scatters them within families, 
families go together. They, they go as a tribe. I mean, just think even today, you have tribes of people in other countries. You have families that live in certain areas of the town. They grow up together. You have relatives that all live in a certain part of the community. Well, God established this thinking of family and relatives and tribes even from Noah's kids. It's how they, it's how they were divided up. All right? So it's inclusive. Anytime you talk family, you can see the perversion come in. It's always inclusive of, of fathers. You cannot have a family without a father. You cannot have a family without a mother. It's hard to have family without children. And relatives are the outworking of multiplying through generations. So you can already see the devil is working hard on this one and to say that fathers have been disbanded out of homes Many kids today grow up in a broken family. Dad is not even in the process. And the enemy understands when I can begin to disrupt family, I can disrupt the kingdom of God. If I can destroy the family, I can destroy kingdom. If I can get fathers to think they're mothers, mothers to think they're fathers, fathers to leave mothers, mothers to abort children, if I can pervert this system of God's kingdom, first and foremost, being about family and tribe, and I can pervert it, I can stop the movement of the kingdom. So as we look at this here, and this comes from Noah's three children, here we sit, you know, in 2022, some 4,000 years removed from Noah, and already you can see that the plan of the enemy has been to touch every one of those things. And then I, I put this phrase to live in harmonious community. It's not just to be a family, but it's to be a family that's in harmony with each other, not at odds with each other, not with chaos, not in evil, not in anger and strife. So that moves the, the family forward. Now let me show you the power of God's thinking of family. It's in Joshua chapter 7. And it's going to play out now in a very interesting scenario because now we're far removed from Shem, Ham, and Japheth and now we're into the children of Israel who are coming into the promised land but God has still not forgotten the way he divided it all up. Joshua 7 verse 14, in the morning, here's, here's the story, let me give you the back story. The back story is they, they took Jericho and God said whatever you do don't take anything out, you, you, nothing, you, you burn it all, you bring nothing. Well, a guy decides, I don't really care what God thinks, I can get something, and so he brought something out of the city, and now things are going bad, and they're like, what's going on? We're not seeing the fruit we need to see. We're not having the power we need to see. Something has gone amiss, and they begin to question God. God, we need to know what's going on, and as they question God, we pick up the story. So in the, in the story, it says this, in the morning... I want you to present yourselves by tribes. And the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs, and that tribe must come forward with its clans. And then the Lord will point out the guilty clan, and that clan will come forward and point out the guilty family, and then that, each member of the guilty family, must come forward one by one. So what we need to know is, that God is a very methodical, ordered system of how he does kingdom. He doesn't just single out the one by one first. He doesn't go, hey, it's you. He said, we're going to do it the way I established it. 
We're going to start first with the tribe, then we're going to come down into the clan, and then we're going to come a little narrower to the family. And then out of the family line, we're going to pick the one person that's guilty. And so they do that. The next day they show up, and it says, Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. The twelve tribes, they're all before the Lord. And the tribe of Judah was chosen. How many of you would know if your tribe was chosen, your hind end's probably getting tight. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. What it's going to show us, the way God works is, is the whole tribe goes together. And we need to know, this is what Malachi is going to say. I'll tell you that in a minute about what Malachi will even say. The tribe of Judah was signaled out, and so I'm sure everyone's a little nervous. So the clans of Judah came forward, and the clan of Zerah. And now it's like, oh God, Uncle Z, man, his whole thing got... We all got to go with him. And then out of the families of Zerah come forward, the family of Zimri was signaled out. And then once Zeri's family's there, every member of Zimri's family was brought forward one at a time, and they finally got to Achan. And Achan was the guilty party. Just so you know how important it becomes of what God has just done, as the next story says, so Joshua said to Achan, why did you bring trouble on us? This thinking that the individual in a group doesn't have much leeway is a lie. One person can destroy an entire church. One bitter human can cause an entire community of people to be bitter. Paul will tell us in the New Testament that one critical person can eat like a cancer. Through an entire, you would think 300 people, one person couldn't ruin it. It's a lie. You just let one negative person get in your family and you'll think, dear God, I hate being around them. They just suck the wind out of you. Well, what we're learning here in the story of Achan is the way God's kingdom is set up is that yes, we all have individual responsibility. Yes, we all have our own walk with God. But we're part of a bigger family, we're part of a tribe, and we're part of an entire kingdom. And so you just take one person that says, my sins don't really matter, and I say, okay, but in the local group of people you hang out with, it matters, and in that group of people, it matters, and then with that group of people, so that one bitter person can spread to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 people. Church is split because of it. So this is what he says. Joshua said, why did you bring the trouble on us? Plural, it's an individual problem. The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and what? It doesn't even seem fair. It doesn't even seem like this would be fair. Why do his kids get killed along with him? It establishes a kingdom principle. I mean, it'll overall, you'll ultimately come to Ezekiel and he'll say, no, the soul that sins dies. But what you need to understand is that here we're getting an understanding of why Jesus is so necessary because if sin is not dealt with, it permeates into every family member. And Jesus will ultimately be the one that will pay the price for sin. But the perversion of that is, is that Jesus will pay the price of sin, but I can sit in the body of Christ and still remain in sin, and it's not really going to impact anybody, and it does. It, 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 it doesn't keep us out of eternity, but it, it, it stops the kingdom within us. 
one bitter, mad, angry, critical person can literally halt the kingdom in our own life. So they stoned him and his family and they piled great heaps of stone over him which remains to this day. And this is why that place was called the Valley of Trouble. Know this, that when you allow into your group, into your family, things that don't seem that big of a deal, believe me, if not dealt with, little things become a valley of big trouble. And so it just pays to go, God, man, I don't, even want, I don't even want to let the devil get a crack in the foundation that we guard each other, we keep each other in prayer. This is why if you fast forward to the New Testament in the list of murderers and, and homosexuality and liars and cheaters is this nice little fun phrase that we don't ever talk about is a, just a gossip. But just a gossip can cause an entire church to tank. And God just doesn't think very highly of it. Here's the, what I established with clans. Clans were established families. We meant by that families. Were established to keep membership of those who belong. If you go back to what it said here, that he was a member of the family. And the family was brought forth in uh, verse 18 of Joshua 7. Every member of Ziri's family was brought forward. So for those that may say, well, church membership, you don't need to be a member. I don't, I don't want to join that place. I just want to kind of have a rogue spirit and just go if I want to go. And if I don't want to go, I mean, I don't really need my name on a roll. I understand that. There, there's nothing that says you're not getting into heaven if you're not a member of a church. But let me tell you, there's something supernatural when you decide these are my people. I'm connecting my life to them. Therefore, when I fall apart and run, they chase me down because I'm part of them. Therefore, when my life gets out of order, the shepherd over that family is responsible for me and pulls me back into the fold. So to say, I, do you believe in church membership? And we go, well, just having your name on a roll means nothing. I'm like, well, that is true. But if, if I don't know you're here, and I don't know if you're committed here or not. How do we watch over people? How do we watch over souls? How do we watch over our faith development? If we all just kind of wing in and wing out. and we I mean, take that anywhere else. You can't just go to the gym and go, you know what, I just, they're going to say, are you a member here? And you're like, no, I just want to show up. Well, honey, if you show up, it's going to cost you double. But if you want to be a member... I mean, so everywhere other than God's house, a lot of times we're good with it. Uh, you want to be a member of the soccer team. Your child is a member of the gym squad, but you come to church and we're like, eh. But I want you to understand, membership is important not so we can say how many butts are in the seat and how big our church is, but because when you come and say, I'm a member of this clan of believers it puts you into a community of faith. And that community of faith rallies around you and stands with you and fights with you and wars with you and pulls you up out of the dirt. And when you hit ground, they're like, come on, honey, get up. We're all in this together. Now, I know that may sound romantic like that, but that is the biblical model of church. We may have blown it, but that's still the biblical model. 
is that we do life together. I say that every Sunday. We rub elbows. We do life together. You cry, we cry. But if we don't know, so I think it's just important. If you've never made this your home, it's a great time to do it. Make it your home and you know you belong somewhere. I will say this. Clans were established to keep membership. Who belongs to us? That's important nowadays. Not so, and I will teach this as we go further forth. I'll tell you the problems with it. But right now it's just the mind of God. Like there's something supernatural to belonging to a group of people. You belong to them. They inspire you. They challenge you. They motivate you. They discipline you. They correct you. They, and I think a lot of times adults don't want that. We just want to kind of live like junior high kids that want to get away with everything. I don't want somebody telling me I'm wrong. And, but there's something healthy to that. There's something healthy to have somebody in your life going, the way you're acting right now is just not godly. And the same for me. I mean, I have people in my life that can do that. I'm not just saying you. I'm including myself. Being a member carried great weight and responsibility. So I'll say this to, to those of you that call this place home and you, you feel like you've planted your life here, you have a responsibility. You carry great weight. It's not just on my shoulders to carry the place. It's all of us together. You know, I try to come and preach good things and what God gives me, but in reality, if all of us are not running together and holding the swords together and praying for one another and in groups and discipling one another, are we really being the kind of church God has called us to be? Amen. Not just built around a good preacher or good music. So today, if this is your house, you have a responsibility to give, to serve, to pray, to get discipled, to disciple other people, to pour your life into it. So don't let the devil lie and go, oh, that's just religion. It's not religion. It was the mind of God before the devil perverted it. So, uh, we'll, and we'll talk about the perversion. Here's something really interesting that I love. One of my favorite topics in the Bible is that the wisdom of God's communities, he broke everybody out into a language. If you really want to know how awkward clans are, go hang out with people who don't gel with you. Go hang out with people who talk a different lingo than you. Go hang out with people, what we would say here, these are the inside jokes. These are the, the things that we share. This is the stories. These are the commonalities. This is where families really come together and, and develop deep meaning. They share stories. They share ideas. They remember when. They share the memories. Well, language was a big way that God would establish it. He divided them into language groups. And so I'll, I'll throw this to you. It may help you. I hear a lot in church, well, I'm telling you, it's just hard to get involved. They're so cliquish. Now, the strangeness of that is this. I hope you believe this. It's my opinion. We're not all supposed to be each other's best friends. Some of you don't like Mexican food. I forgive you. Some of you don't like guitars and banjos. Some of you don't like going to the gym. Some of you love to hike. Some of you love to crochet. Some of you love to read. Some of you... That's the beauty of the body. 
the beauty of the body is we all have something we love, but it's, it's literally deceptive to think we'll all love the same thing. Amen. So the coffee lovers get together and just talk coffee. The people that love theology get together and talk about theology. But if you come in the door and go, well, they're just a click because I tried to get in and didn't fit, it's because you got in to try to fit, but you were speaking guitars and they're speaking coffee. And you, you, uh, they're just rude and mean. So get rid of your guitars, learn to love coffee, and watch how quick they'll let you in. Now, that's not ungodly. You can't tell yourself that's ungodly. It's natural. It's the language we speak. It's, uh, I'll, I'll pick on Eva and Carmelo a minute. And I had some friends that spoke another language. Um, but when you have your homeland language, your growing up language, uh, whether it's French or Spanish, when you're talking to someone, you usually talk in that language. It's more meaningful to you. Even if you have a second language, you'll use your primary language typically around the house or with the person you love. I even said that to a friend of mine that was French, and she spoke French in her house, and, and then I would be with them, and they would, her daughter would walk in, and mom and daughter both spoke beautiful English. But as soon as the daughter walked in and the mom was talking to me, they would bust out in French. And I'd be going, that's just not fair. I have no clue what y'all are saying. And it is been, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's beautiful language. And then she was talking and I would say something and I would say, you know, y'all always go into French, but you both speak such beautiful. They said, because when we talk to each other in French, it's much more meaningful to us. And then she had a French Bible and she says, I can read English, but now watch this. She said, but when I read my Bible in French, it speaks to me so differently. Well, it's designed to be that way. So in our church as we grow, don't be afraid to let other people express their language. Here's where it gets really interesting. What it means by language is lachon. It means language, literally speech or the tongue. It can mean both. An instrument of licking, eating, or speech. Uh, this is just an interesting thought for you, that those that love to study. Does it now make you understand maybe why God told Gideon, hey, those that lap, those that lick? Because God is a God of language. Why does the Bible say if you want to be born again, you must confess with the tongue? The tongue speaks. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. Here's what we'll pick up next week to show you something beautiful about language. But the Lord came down in Genesis 11 to the city and the tower the people were building and said, look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. So there was a time where everybody on the planet spoke the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. So let's come down. Oops, sorry. So let's come down and confuse the people with different languages so they won't be able to understand each other. So God gives us really the insight of what language does. And here it is. Language would unify people under a banner of mutual understanding toward a common goal. Lang language ignites power and it unites purpose. This is why language ignited the power. God said if they speak the same language, there's nothing that's impossible. That is incredible. When the God of the universe says of a human 
Nothing is impossible if they speak the same language. It's going to show you the power of language. But also at the same time, he shows us something interesting about language. If you can't understand each other, you can't reach your purpose. Fast forward to the church. If we don't speak the same language in this body and we don't understand what we're saying to each other, we'll never achieve our purpose. It's why I say every week, we're here for three words. What are they? All right, every single week. You may get tired of it. You may be like, oh God, here we go again. Love, power, community. But if you hear it over and over and over and over and over, it lets anybody else coming in the door know what language we speak here. We speak a language of love. We don't care how you come in the door. You come in divorced, broken, messed up. But also we speak the language of power, meaning we don't believe you stay where you are. God turns you into where he wants you to be. But not only that, we're good to do life with you no matter where you are in the journey. So that everybody that comes in the door, we never forget. We're speaking the same language here. And community's dirty and power is dirty and love is dirty. But we're good with that because we're all trying to trek the same way. So language ignites power and understanding purpose. Here's the third one. Territory. He's going to divide them into territory. So we have he's dividing them by clan. He's dividing them by language. He's dividing them by territory. If you really want to know how this, just go into South Georgia and you'll know real quickly the power of family, language, and territory. Down south, they talk totally different than they do up here. You go over Alabama, man, they talk whole different over there. I mean, you literally, here's what's weird. Alabama, we can be in Alabama in about 40 minutes. And the moment you cross the line, you, you can say the same identical phrase and go, they're from Alabama. You just know because language, it, it defines the territory. Remember when they got on to Peter, hey, wait, you're Galilean. You sound just like him. So even in the New Testament, they grabbed a hold of language to convict Peter. That's how powerful language is. Language is very powerful. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. You're right. They'll kill you. It carries such weight with them. But now we move into territory because they're divided. The language begins to set the territory. And by territory, it's the Hebrew word eres, which means land or a piece of ground, a region. Um, South Georgia, West Georgia, East Georgia, Southern United States, Middle America, Western America. And that's what's weird. If you really want to see how it plays out in one country, you can play it out perfectly. Because as we walk through it, it gets deeper. Here's the, here's the thought of, I, I love how it's laid out in this area of territory. As God began to take the three million Israelites that were in the wilderness and he set them up into camps, Numbers chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 says, And the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. He said, when the Israelites set up camp, now watch, he grabs it all, each tribe, there's 12 of them, they, they will be assigned its own area. And the tribal divisions will camp against under family banners. So every area had clans that had families. And he said, and those families will camp on the four sides, north, south, east, and west of the tabernacle. Now, I want you to understand in the green, I put it, because this is, may sound strange to you, but I believe it. I believe that God 
doesn't really desire you to just roam around and go wherever you want to go. I believe he assigns you somewhere in your local community because he wants to plant you under a banner of a clan that is a family of his kingdom and he assigns you a place there. And that becomes your people. And until God moves you, you stay there. Because he will not move you until he's taken every rough edge off of you and, and caused your immaturities to be matured. But if we don't believe that God assigns us somewhere and I get to choose to go wherever, then I say we rarely grow because the moment I'm challenged, I leave. The moment I don't like something that makes me feel, mm, I go. And I'm not talking about you know, perverted teaching. I'm just talking about kingdom people. So there is something here where God says, look, there's three million of you. I'm glad you're attracted to the girl in the other clan, but she's on the west side and you're on the east side and you're going to stay on the east and she's going to stay on the west when you camp. So God assigns, I'll tell you why he does that. He assigns people. So uh, this is how strange this may sound to you. I so believe this that I'm not against marketing, so don't take this the wrong way. But it's why you will never see my face on a billboard saying, visit Believer's Church. Because I could do that. I could attract people. I could send flyers out on the doors, door knockers on the doors. And I'm not against that. Trust me. I, I, many people do it. But here's what I did. I went out to the four stop signs with a bottle of anointing oil. I anointed all four stop signs. I command the angels of heaven to station themselves at the stop sign and whoever God had assigned to this building to speak to them and bring them here. And you would be amazed how many people. I've just been driving by for years and just felt like I was supposed to come here. And I was like, that's because little Johnny the angel caught you at that stop sign. Somebody three weeks ago, first time here, exact words. I said, well, how'd you find out about us? Well, I've just been driving by for years, and I stopped at the stop sign and just felt like I need to go there today. So I'm not against marketing, but I'm so in belief that God assigns you somewhere. I want the people God assigns here. I would rather have 400 assigned people than 4,000 random people. Uh, you end up babysitting if you're not careful. Here's the fourth one, how he divided them up in Genesis 10 by clan, number one, by language, by territory, and then this one's pretty common, by national identity. National identity translates the Hebrew word goy, G-O-Y, and it means exactly that. It means a whole entire group of people, not just a family, not just relatives, not just tribes, but a whole community of people. It's the whole of them. I think that's the easiest one to really understand. It's, it's a nation of America. But inside America, we have territories. The South, the North, the East. Every territory has a history behind it. But every territory not only has a history, it has a climate, it has its own language. If you go up to Boston, I mean, just in this thing, just go talk to Carla. 
and say, Carla, who is the pastor of Believer's Church? And Carla go, Pastor Mock. I'm like, Carla, my name is not M-A-C-H. It's not Mock. My name is not Pastor Mock. It's Mark. But she's from Boston, and she's got the Pactica pass a mock, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, it's fine. But that's what I mean. That's, she's, she's a nation of America, but she lives in a tribe, in a territory, Boston. And in Boston, she was raised in a, in a block of people that were her people, and she spoke a language. We call it the accent. Well, God established it that way, which is strange. And to show you how strange it is, just go up to Boston and try to order sweet tea. <laughs> I'll have some sweet tea. Honey, you're not around here, are you? No, I'm not. I have no clue. Y'all have grits and I don't even know what you're talking about. So though we laugh at that, what it does is it gives you a sense of belonging. It's your people it's your community, it's your neighborhood, it's your, it's your meaning, it's your purpose. It's, man, it's my people on the block. We have our own language, our own sayings, our own phrases. Our, now that was all designed by God. It's going to go awry though, but here, here's the thought. We'll pick up this in two weeks. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country. I want to teach you something here. Your relatives, your father's family, and here we go. God is teaching us something about it all. You're going to go to a land and you're going to become a great nation. Now what God is going to teach us now is that the nation overrides feelings. And if you don't ever get your feelings under control... The kingdom will always take a back seat to your emotions, your feelings, your people, and your community. This is why Jesus said, you want life to go well? Seek me above all else. And that is a hard thing to do. Because the nation feels so foreign. And he pulls out the foreignness of this great nation. But to get there, watch how personally... Gosh, it's going to touch emotions and feelings. Leave your native country, meaning it's going to be uncomfortable. The kingdom is uncomfortable. The kingdom will take you places you may not have ever thought you would have wanted to go. But not only that, it's going to say, hey, the kingdom is more powerful than your relatives. Meaning you're going to have to learn how to get along with some new people here. Meaning you're going to be in part with not everybody thinks like you think, reasons like you reason. And then it says, oh, and leave your family. Even Jesus will say that. I'll set against father and mother. So what God begins to teach us is though that the clans, the language, and the tribe was all there and it's normal, the thing that overrides it all is that the nation overrides it all. I even think that's being perverted now, but if you want to go back to a time before it was perverted, just remember when... um, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. It did not matter if you were redneck, rich or poor, south, north, east or west, or if you had a Boston accent or a California accent, everybody went to war. The nation became priority. 9-11, remember? 9-11, they bombed the, the World Trade Centers and in one fell swoop, the entire nation forgot if we were black or white. 
We forgot if we were Baptist or Methodist. We forgot if we were rich or poor. We were all about one thing, America. It didn't last long because the devil knows if we ever get there, we're dangerous. The devil knows if we ever unite, we're dangerous. It's why American politics is so set to always divide us. Because if you can divide a population, you can rule them. The devil knows this. If he can divide the church, he can rule the church. If a government can divide its people, they can rule the people. If the people ever come together with a common language and a common purpose and a common understanding, there's nothing that can stop them. So go back to the American Revolution. How did we break from the most powerful government in the world, England? A bunch of little unschooled ruffians said, taxation without representation is unjust. And they went to war. And we beat the mightiest force ever with a bunch of little farmer boys in the middle of... They didn't even know how to do war. But they united together. So know this about any nation. If you want to destroy a nation, you divide the language, you divide the people, you divide the territories, and you divide everything about them, you can conquer them. It's why, I'm going political here, I won't be there too long, bear with me. It's why every time there's an election, you're going to find out suddenly blacks and whites can't stand each other. Because if I can keep you divided, I can control you. If I tell you that the Republicans are for whites, the Democrats are for blacks, or vice versa, and can keep you divided, I can control you. But when we come together, we're scary. It's the kingdom of God. It was designed to be that way. That, that went, This is Genesis 11. When you come together with a common language, a common purpose, a common DNA, with a common goal, nothing is impossible. And for, I'll teach you this next week. And from that point, the devil has been working overtime. What is the outcome of the divine wisdom of God in community? What was the, what's the purpose of clan, language, territory, and nation? Well, I think the easy answer would be simple. It's because God is moving the kingdom forward. But I want to teach you now what is the perversion first. It doesn't take long for the devil to realize there's something powerful about clans, language, territory, and national identity because God told us there was. And it's when these are in unity, nothing is impossible. When all of those work together, hand in hand, nothing they set out to do will be impossible. So what does the devil do? The devil perverts it. And now instead of clans, we have racism, we have hatred, we have chaos and destruction. We can't get along with our different skin colors. We burn towns down, we fight, we argue. And so the devil took a beautiful plan of how the kingdom would go forward and he inserts in it the most vile of perversions. And I don't know if you've ever studied the history of perverted things such as racism. But it's a pretty perverted thing when the KKK can stand up and take the Bible and use the Bible as to why whites should stay with whites and blacks should stay with blacks. Quoting scripture the whole time. Why? Because the devil will pervert the clan, the family. Whites should stay with whites, Kaya. Blacks should stay with blacks, Kaya. That's the way God intended it and then they point to this. See, he divided them into their families because the devil knows if we ever come together, 
If the body of Christ, the Hispanics, the Asians, the Europeans, that we, if we all come together, we're deadly. Amen. So he has to keep us divided into all of these things. But not only is there a perversion of the divisions, there's the power of it. The power of it is this. It's unity, it's love, it's peace, and it's redemption. When God scattered the people into clans, languages, territories, and national identities. He wasn't just, remember this, he's not just thinking about Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. He's thinking how much further into the future? To the church. He's thinking way beyond three boys and how they're going to be divided into their family units. He's thinking beyond those boys all the way into the New Testament. But what we get out of the clan, language, territory, and national identity is it was so important to God that once he pulled a people out and called them by name, which was Abraham and the great nation, God divides, remember this, he says, look, I'm going to bring you into a great nation. That great nation is going to be the nation of Israel. And when God brings them into the nation of Israel, what is he going to do with the nation of Israel. He's going to break them up into clans, into families and tribes, the tribe of Judah. And then he, remember, he appoints them of where they're going to be and this is what that looks like. So when God takes those, those tribes, those 12 tribes, and breaks them up into their families of where he has put them, look at the position that it makes from a heavenly perspective. It gives us a beautiful layout of the redemptive story. That the way God will lay these families out and these clans and these tribes and they will park themselves to the north, the south, the east and the west of the tabernacle in the very middle, it makes a beautiful layout of the cross. So that from a heavenly perspective, as these people called by God set themselves up around a tabernacle, from a heavenly perspective, before there was ever a cross, before there was ever a son of God in the flesh, God is so far ahead that the way he told them to be in community, the way he told them to camp, the way he told them to set up, the numbers that he had in each one, if they lined up end to end, it would look like this, like a beautiful testament of redemption. So what is God's wisdom? The wisdom of why he set it up with Shem, Ham, and Japheth clan, language, territory, and national identity is he was so far ahead of the game he's thinking about Christ and the church. When he set the Israelites up into their camps he's thinking about Christ and the church. When he's thinking family he's thinking church, language, church, territory, church, national identity, church. Everything he's thinking he's thinking toward the people of God. Let me give you the scriptures now. Ephesians 1 verse 5. God decided in advance to do what? Into what? Into his family. There's the clan. God said, when I'm back here at Shem and I'm dividing people into families and languages and territories and nations, I'm, I'm thousands of years in the future thinking about what I'm going to do with the church. And my church is going to be my clan. It's going to be my people called by my name. And you will have me as a father. And this is how beautiful this is because 
God even identifies in John 8, he says there's the clan of the devil, his children, and there's the clan of God, his children. But I love this, just so we not know it's not just some weird idea, he did it in advance through Christ because it gave him pleasure. So now we understand in the New Testament, God's still about family. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ did for us, Ephesians 2 verse 19 so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. And then this word, again, I pull it back out from what we just said. You are members of God's family. He wants you to belong. You're counted with Him. He knows where you are. He knows where you go. Together with His house, you're built on the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. So there again... Being part of God's family is about Christ Jesus. This is uh, too deep to really teach tonight, but a thought. God has his own language. He didn't even start his family without giving you a language. He said, hey, we're going to start my family. My family is going to be called the church, but I need everybody in my family to speak the same language. Well, what is that language? If you're going to have Russians and Germans and and Indians and Americans and Europeans and Australians and, and Indonesians and Polynesians. Well, how, what do you, how could we all have the same language? And he says, well, kind of like you did at the Tower of Babel, you all spoke the same language and understood and had understanding. I'm just going to take all your weird languages and rather than changing you all back to one, I'm just going to give you mine. And he baptizes them with a language. He gives them the language of the Holy Spirit. And out of their belly came a river of living water. And it says, and they begin to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now I can be Russian. and I can be Chinese. I can be African. I can be Scandinavian. I can speak the same language of God all around the world. So to think that the baptism of the Spirit was so that we could be Pentecostal, it's so God could take a family and unite them under one language. That we would all speak the language of the Spirit. We would only say what the Spirit wanted us to say. We would not be of our own agenda and our own thinking. We would only speak, and this is what Jesus says, I can only say what I've been told to say. What would happen if every Christian in America, in the world, decided I can only say what the Spirit wants me to say? Now you know why gossip is counted in the list of murderers. Because gossip is, I'm part of God's family, but I don't speak His language. And that just doesn't go with God. The next one. So I want you to know Corinthians 12, 3 that no one's speaking by the Spirit of God. So now we see not only does God have a family, His language is to speak by the Spirit. How many of you know that have been saved, that's the hardest thing to do? Speak by the Spirit. Oh, my, my emotions, my feelings, my aggravations, my criticisms, my... Uh, we could solve 90% of marriage problems if we all just spoke by the Spirit. Or we'd just never talk to each other, one of the two. <laughs> well, my point is, God not only has a family and a clan, He has a language. But here's where it gets really fun. This letter is to the seven churches, Revelation 1-5. 
who were in the province of Asia. If you go and read all of the New Testament, it's very interesting to the church at Galatia, to the church at Colossa, to the church at Thessalonia, to the church at Philippi, to the church at... God has established a territory in every part of the world where his family lives. In Douglasville, we say there's a church on every corner. Well, what we really need to know by that is God puts his family into the territory of Douglasville and says, y'all rule and reign. But it's hard to be put in the territory of Douglasville to rule and reign when we can't even get along with each other. We don't agree. We don't agree on women. We don't agree on tongues. We don't agree on money. We don't agree on music. We don't agree. And so there we've been put by God in territories. We've been told by God to be the body of Christ in Douglasville. Be my body in Douglasville. And so to feel better about ourselves, we go, all right, here's how we're going to do that. We're going to come together once a year, maybe twice. We're going to do National Day of Prayer. And we're going to try to get at least six pastors to show up and pray for the nation. And then we're going to do like an Easter thing and see if we can't get at least six pastors to come together for Easter week. Like it's literally like pulling teeth. Because why? We all get busy. We all have our own language. We all have our own likes. We all have our own dislikes. But remember, though Mark Evans loves the music here, and I love the people here, and I love our DNA here, and I love everything God is doing on this little hole with my little territory and my little family of people, if I'm not careful, I will become very introverted and think that my corner overrides his kingdom. And if I start thinking my corner is more important than his kingdom, I'm right back into Genesis where I'm like, I want to follow you but not leave my family. I want to follow you but not leave my tribe. I want to follow you but not be a great nation. So my prayer is, as we sit on this corner, I love who we are. I love our language. I love our music. I love what we do. But we always have to remember we're part of a bigger global picture. And we're just a small little family in a whole nation of believers. But you are not like that. Probably the most familiar passage of Scripture. You're a chosen people. You're royal priest. And then this really brings it home. We're all a holy nation. And we're put together to show the goodness of God. Every one of us working together are a holy nation. The thing, the thing that overrides it all is we were to be holy. So how do you destroy it if you're the devil? We can't get along. We don't agree. We don't like each other's music. We don't like the preaching. And we definitely are filling it up with people who don't really live holy. And the devil just sits back and goes, I have done a great job. Because this people that is supposed to have a power over me has none. And I think that's where we have to be careful as we move forward with God. Here's the conclusion. Tried to put it all together for you. The church, scattered in regions throughout the world, meaning we're all going to have a language. We're all going to have our preferences of music. We're all going to have the preferences of the kind of Bible we use and the way our buildings look, the way our structure is set up. 
But that displays the wisdom of God to the people of the world. That, above all, we're a new race, a new family, and a new nation. Blacks, whites, Hispanic, Asians, Europeans, we can all come together under one banner because the nation overrides my personal preferences. The kingdom overrides my color. What God wants to do overrides everything. It's called the church. And that is put together one way only. We come in unity under the language of Holy Spirit help. The Spirit has to empower us to get along with each other. The Spirit has to teach us how to die to my own preferences so that the kingdom becomes my preference. I love what many of you may know this, but you may not. When uh, Robin and I moved here, uh, the church used to be facing this way. And on the stage was two big throne chairs. Anybody remember the throne chairs? Yeah, about five of them. You're like, yep, I remember the throne chairs. And I didn't really care for the music. It wasn't my style of music. Dad didn't really care. He just, he knew what God had asked him to do. And so when we got here, we started changing the music. We started having a little more what I, styles that I liked. And I love what Dad said. He said, well, I've learned one thing, and Mom did this. She's, Mom said, I travel all over to churches. She said, one thing I've noticed is that uh, I've just learned that whether I like the music or not, I've learned that it's about God. And I just, yeah, he's worthy to be praised. So she said, whether I like a song or not, I praise God. Well, that's somebody that's taken personal preferences because she probably likes the more hymns. And, but her personal preferences bow to the kingdom. And dad, who could have said, don't dare mess with my throne chairs, he said, look, whatever you think the Lord's telling you to do, you just do it. I'm happy to go wherever God's telling you to go. That's a man who took personal preference and put it up under the kingdom. Now, when we all do that, it makes for a happier life. It makes for it's never about me anyway. It's about him. There are certain Sundays, I'm just being transparent here, I come to church and they're singing a song I don't like. And rather than pouting, going, I hate this song. It, just, uh, it does nothing for me at all. Why in God's name are they doing this one again? It's so, I can lay my head in she I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to think about laying my head in she I can make my bed at the bottom of the darkest depot. And I'm like, I've been there. I don't want to go back. I sing the blood of Jesus or something. But you know, when I hear it, it doesn't matter. I'm just like, but there is not a place I could escape you. I won't now stop. And I just, I'm just going to make the devil mad. Right? I'm sorry, it's about, and I just remind myself, it's about God. It's just about God. It's not about me and my personal preferences. And you can say, well, you're the pastor. Tell them, no, if I do that, I become a narcissistic, selfish little man that wants the kingdom run my way. And I won't ever grow up. So even I, who leads the house, has to say, oh, the kingdom's bigger than me. I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I'm good. Let's move on. So here it is. We all have to come to a place of learning to live as a family with different races, different things, but we speak a common language of the Holy Spirit. 
And if we do, we will rock this corner for the kingdom because God will send the people who need to be here and this corner will have a testimony of the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So that's the end. Let me bless you. Father.